<laughs> G'day, Rastus. How you going? Rastus. My grandpa used to say that. He used to always call dogs, any dog, Rastus. How you going, Rastus? Welcome back to Dave Manifolds with Fuzzy. Thanks for being here. This is episode eight. If you want to get in touch, hit me up on Instagram at the Mark Furs. And if you dig the pod, just share it with your mates. Share it around. Maybe they'll like it. Maybe they'll hate it. Who knows? You can blame me. Right. Well, there are three things that I love in life. The Matrix, a ripe passion fruit, and a good deep chat. And I think that this might actually be the deepest DMs with Furzy yet. I kind of knew it would be. It's inevitable with my guest on this episode. His name's Ollie Green, or the OG. We met around 10 years ago in New Zealand in the music scene. He is now currently studying psychotherapy, and he will be a wonderful psychotherapist. Man, <laughs> this guy, he's an absolute soul searcher. He went backpacking in Nepal on his own for months. Courageous. He loves it. He's a deeply thoughtful and introspective guy, and he just oozes authenticity. Just oozes it. So here is Ollie Green. All right, are you recording? Uh, yes. Great. So am I. It looks like we're doing it. Yeah, here we go. You, um, it was when I did my podcast with Jim Os. Yes. We just started like this. Yes. And I just started talking and then he goes, um, afterwards I send it to him just so he could have a listen and he mm. goes, oh, you didn't, you know, well, listen to the one you did with Stefan and you did all, you said all this nice stuff about him at the start. You didn't do that with me. And I went, yeah, bro, I don't record that at the same time. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. That's like, your a- comment, hey. That's your <laughs> feedback. Like you didn't jerk me off, bro, but you jerked him <laughs> off. Come on, bro. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I, don't, I do that afterwards. I don't do that in front of you. Fuck. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's when you know you're good friends with someone because if, if he wasn't that comfortable, he'd just be like, ah, what a dick. You know, he wouldn't bring it, he wouldn't give you a chance to explain. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that was, that was nice. That was nice. And I, and I think that a lot of people actually, I guess I'm the same. When I first started listening to podcasts, I, I didn't realize that they didn't do the intro with them sitting there waiting. Because, you know, when you watch like the morning show mm. and they've got a guest, mm-hmm. they'll do the intro and then they just pan across and yeah. they're right there. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's why people think. Do they do they record those? They record them in a linear fashion, eh? Like the froze, they do them before. I the reckon guest. they yeah. do. Especially if it's those live, yeah. live morning mm. shows, mm. yeah. Mm. Those ones are, um, yeah, they mm. just get in there. Mm. They've got to create content that's going to be entertaining and really Hard hitting in the first, mm. well, they get four minutes. Mm. Mm. Whereas in podcast world, you just shoot the shit for hours and hours and hopefully something entertaining comes out of it <laughs> or informative. Mm. Mm. Different formats, eh? And, yeah. and, and one perhaps more, more growing in popularity than the other for those reasons. Absolutely. I think, mm. I think that's, that, I mean, that's certainly why I started doing one mm. because I was like, it's transparent. I wanted to. I wanted the element of nuance. I wanted to be able to explore an idea. Mm. You can't understand something complex mm. 
in four minutes with an expert standing in front of a sitting in on a panel show that that you just can't understand it. So mm, you mm. can't, and they don't explore it. The the hosts and the people talking to, like I've done a couple of those things, like morning shows and that kind of stuff, and it's weird, man. Mm, mm. You sit there and you kind of it's all a whirlwind. They put you in makeup and you don't know what they're going to ask, and then you sit down and everyone's like. They go, hi, how are you? And then we're rolling in like 10 seconds and you go, okay, let's go. And then they're just happening and you're just sitting there and you just kind of try and come up with something witty and and Mm, profound on mm. the spot. And then two minutes later, it's done. Yeah, it's a real performance art, isn't it? TV appearances. Absolutely. To to really get across the brand because you're not not really a person when you're on TV, you're a brand, you know, and to, to sell whatever you're there to sell, assuming you're there to sell. I'm assuming you're on TV to sell something. I mean, yeah. It is a skill. It's a skill that no one is really taught. Well, I mean, you can be taught it, but it's not something that I personally ever endeavoured to learn. I just mm. kind of just got thrown in and you just you just go with it. I feel like and when you say you don't know what the questions are, I kind of, I have this sort of like, I, I kind of know in the, what range the questions will probably be within. But I still feel anxious about the questions they will ask because (laughs) perhaps because they're not real questions. Like I don't get a chance to really talk here. I just have to perform, you know. Yeah, yeah, Um, you're exactly right. mm. You're exactly right. You can tell, you know what what pocket the questions are going to sit in Mm. and it's never going to be anything overly offensive or or probing or groundbreaking Mm. Mm. and it's – the answers need to be relatively vanilla. The answers have to be equally as non-groundbreaking and and vanilla, which can be an awkward situation to be in if you mm. <laughs> if you don't really feel that way. But it's it's a game. You got to play the game. If you well, you don't have to, but you know that's what you're there for. Yeah. And if you don't, mm. yeah. And I, and I think we're talking about a medium that's been. A, a key communication channel for how many years now? Like it's at least been key for like sixty years, um, mm. and we're talking about how limiting it is in actually um, being able to represent anything in any depth, yeah. any realness, and and yet it's the it's been this huge channel of communication. So we've been taking in this content that's shallow for years now, and mm. and the format hasn't changed. You know, it's, no. they haven't done anything about that um, because when you're when you've got mass communication, you can't you can't really be you have to be vanilla. You, you're gonna you know you you can't be outlandish. You can't um, yeah. It's, it's gotta please the audience. Yeah, and and, it, and I guess it is changing now. It's been it's been the same for so long. Whereas now there's podcasts everywhere mm. and people having long form conversations everywhere. Well, well, I mean, what if you had a had a TV interview and you just said randomly, "Oh, yeah, I'm interested in psychedelics." You know, imagine yeah. that moment. <laughs> like the the host job would be to move forward from that interjection yes. as quickly as possible and or make move a joke away. It. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, and it's like, yeah. but here you are on a podcast and you can talk about these things that are important <laughs> to you. You know, dude, I, I've thought about that. Mm. That exact mm. thing, and right. I probably yeah. won't. <laughs> it would be a very interesting moment, depending on the yeah. on the host, because I think it's that's one mm. of the things. Like, oh no, that's taboo. We won't be. Mm. We can't be going there. They'd have people in their ear going, "Move him away! Get away! Get away!" 
onto something else, regardless yeah. of how life changing and, and profound it's been. <laughs> yes. That's not the, that's not the point. Yeah. yeah. This is very against the rules. Don't yeah. talk about that. I only want to see so much of you. Yes, we and don't the, want to And know the rest is not acceptable here. No, that's right. Your struggles are not are not relevant here. Thanks. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Did you, I funnily enough, speaking about this medium of the morning shows and that kind of thing, I I was watching have you seen that footage of Bill O'Reilly? <laughs> yeah. Where he lo- he yeah. loses his shit. Yeah. I was watching that again last night. I, I I hadn't seen it for years. It's just a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah. If anyone hasn't seen it, he loses his. He just goes ape shit. Mm. It's like the. It's like in a break, and he has to say a thing to wrap up the show, and he can't read the teleprompter, and he just goes, he just goes nuts. Mm. And it's, I, it's my favorite thing that he's ever done because it's honest. Mm. Yes, it's it's. You can really see he's got quite a temper, but who knows? Maybe he'd been at that doing that thing for hours and hours on end, and he was just driven to it. But he exploded. He did. He he exploded. And um, when I think about it now, I think about how how he seems so sad at that point. You, you know, although he's angry, it feels really sad. It's just like, yeah. man, you're like you're like this big shot TV host. You've got the world at your feet, and something something little goes wrong, and you just lose your mind. Like jeepers, you know? Yeah, yeah. He um <laughs> that that was a full on tantrum. Yeah, yeah. It's it is funny when you see an adult. <laughs> Having a tantrum. Mm. It's funny when you see a kid having a tantrum. Maybe funny is not the right word, but it's it's very engaging. Mm. It's very. Mm. I, I I think if you're in a supermarket or you're you know out on the street or at a bar or something, and you sense that someone's going to or is just having a tantrum, it's like a train wreck. It's very difficult not to look. It's very engaging, mm. and it's and it's that same thing. It's kind of like you see it, and, and there's that. There's that part of, well, for me anyway. There's that part of me that's like, oh, this isn't for me. I shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> but then I'm like, well, you're in, you're in public, and mm. there's also something. And this is kind of a messed up way of looking at, it, but there's something beautiful about it because again, it's honest. It's complete mm. honesty. You would never behave that way intentionally. Mm. It's mm. like you are just overcome with feelings, and the feelings are driving the bus, and your mm. your your conscious mind is not present. You're just reacting and uh, mm. having a tantrum in public. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much to say about that. And I think the I, I, first thing I think is what it, what it feels like when someone should be having a tantrum but they're not having a tantrum and you can feel that there's something going on that isn't being kind of released and it's a terrible feeling because you just don't know. Mm. It. What is it? Is it anger? Is it sadness? When the feeling isn't owned, it becomes more powerful. Mm. You know, when you own the feeling and you go, oh, that's what's going on with me, you can be with it. But when you're denying it, when you're repressing the feeling, it grows stronger because yeah. you're pushing it away and it wants to be known. So it, it, it gets the message it needs to be stronger for you to take, um, make it, uh, to pay attention to it, you know. So yeah. children are a lot freer in expression of their emotions because they're not so brainwashed by the social constructs that will that they'll slowly be introduced to through school and parenting and their peers and all sorts of things. Um, mm, they let it out. Yeah. they Well, in, in healthy cases, they do without being judged. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there is, that's, there is something very beautiful about that, that honesty of, of oh, it's just built up and it's, it's got to it's gotta get there. And, I mean, look, as an, as an adult, I guess the, the, the key is to try to see 
the signs that could turn into a tantrum before they get there and communicate with Um, whoever or whatever the situation is so that it doesn't build up to it because addressing it earlier rather than getting it, letting it get to that point where it's coming out and you have no choice. The dragon is given, (laughs) (laughs) the the dragon is in charge now. Uh, Yeah, and and I I guess I would say that sometimes the most important like I would be hesitant to call these particular expressions tantrums because of the negative connotation around a tantrum being kind of an excessive use of emotion to gain one's way. But I think a lot of times in adult life when we do have um, kind of emotional outbursts, whether they're angry or sad, they're really pivotal opportunities for that person to express something that's had found no other way to be voiced. So, you know, we've all had those moments like, like breakup moments, for example, where it all comes up or it comes out of the other person, and until then you just don't know. And but it becomes a, t- a a fork in the road. It's a really crucial opportunity to go, who is this person or who am I, and what does this mean to me? Um, mm. Because a lot of things won't you won't even know that they're there until they burst forth in some kind of very uncomfortable, unfortunate way, but they've arrived and they need to be dealt with, you know? Yes, yes. So, as, as inappropriate as we may want to deem them, they're, they're real, those feelings. Mm. Well, well, take Bill O'Reilly, for example. His, his, um, his uh, kind of anger, his display of anger, his outburst, I think you said it was an explosion, was it? Mm. it yeah, mm. it... it um, it's like the producer needs to get this guy some help. He needs somebody to talk to, man, you know? But they're all going, we don't want to disturb the king around here, so we'll just pretend it's all good. But really, it's a cry for help. It's like, Jesus, dude, you're getting upset about this? I think yeah. you need somebody to talk to, man. Maybe you need to exercise more or something or stop eating steak. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, It's yeah, like yeah, totally. something's not right here. You know? Well, I, I kind of put it down to even being the environment that he was in and, and has, you know, even beyond that, he was on, he played a very provocative, aggressive alpha mm. interviewer and was constant. I don't know, on, that was on Inside Edition that when he lost his shit. Right. He went on yeah. to becoming, I, I don't know what the, oh, Riley Audition or something. But yeah, very aggressive and alpha and, yeah. and constantly gr- kind of grilling people. Either either heartily agreeing with them, or very intensely disagreeing with them and not letting them speak. Really, mm-hmm. um, and that day in day out. I mean, just that alone. That's got to be. That's got to be unhealthy. That's got to be mm-hmm. winding you up. Uh, and clearly, clearly it was. Mm-hmm. Amongst many other things that may have been going on in his life, I don't know. Yeah, that's very. Um, yeah, I, I like how you say kind of alpha kind of a male kind of thing to to either agree or disagree. You're on my side or you're not on my side. You're good yep. or you're bad. It's just a very primitive kind of way of um, understanding what's going on around you. Yeah. yeah. Let, why don't we just backtrack a sec. Mm. How, speaking, because, you know, we're basically talking of psychology and, and mm. the mind and the why people feel the way they feel. Where are you at with your studies on this stuff? Um, I'm, I'm just heading into my, uh, second half of the year studies for, um, graduate diploma in psychotherapy. So yeah, I, I guess nice. I, I've been kind of involved in 
psychotherapy for a while before studying it and so now studying it's taken it to the next level of trying to understand it more mm. yeah and Absolutely. yeah I, I guess for for a lot of people the difference between you know what's a psychologist a counselor a psychotherapist a psychiatrist like what's the difference they all just they all like mental health workers you know but um, psychotherapists in particular focus on um, what they call the talking cure. So having conversations and the kind of the relationship that can form between um, a therapist and a client and the potential that has to, for healing. The literal so it's all, it's sense all, is healing of the soul. Um, is, right. It's the, the origins, yeah. Okay. Mm. So what, what specifics does psychotherapy have outside of the other disciplines of this like what's the yeah, what's the sure. what's the mo of sure i think i think the number one is the belief in the unconscious and that it contributes to the way we consciously live our lives so mm. in psychology that doesn't really um focus on that but for psychotherapy um we're 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 trying to explore the unconscious to understand the behaviors i guess and, and what's going on on a more conscious uh, level and so how that's done there's a whole lot of different ways and, and theories around it it's quite a colorful field um, mm. it arcs back to Sigmund Freud who's kind of the original theorist of the whole unconscious um, when was when was what was Freud's era it was like the nine the early 1900s like 18 okay. 1890 to 1930 I'm not quite sure on the dates right. but yeah was he pre Jung Yes, he, he Jung studied under um, Freud. Yeah. Okay. Because you hear, uh, and I haven't studied this stuff, mm. but it it just uh, it's just intriguing to me in general. And and any time you dip your toes into any kind of inward searching, you you hear Freud and Jung, mm. but Freud all over the place. So oh, I imagine you've been learning a bit about Freud. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's got a lot of theories and I'm still, I guess I would say I'm very much a novice of Freud at this point sure. in stage, you know, because when we, when we study Freud, we're studying the origins. We're studying kind of how we got to where we are today. And so it's super important, but it's, it's a whole world of its own, you know? Mm. And, and I guess what, where we've come from since then is, is Freud was, was a was a doctor and so he held that frame with his patients that he was the expert and and they were a patient so he was more um there was a kind of a power dynamic there that's been dismantled from freud's era onwards until we now acknowledge therapy more to be uh two people co-creating they're there together creating something between the two of them rather than an expert and a sick person. Okay. Kind mm. of like what we're doing now. Yeah, that's right. It's relational. Yeah. Right. So we'll take turns in being the sick person for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, we're both the sick person, right? Yeah. We're just <laughs> to, yeah. Yeah. Scrambling to get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to the um, the un, the unconscious and the control that it has over our consciousness yeah. and our behavior, that – seems to be a world that we really don't have a whole lot of hard data and hard mm. understanding on. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I mean, by its very definition, it's elusive. 
Yeah. It's the unknown, basically. But the more you yeah, it's that's it's tricky. Yeah, it's a really tricky one actually to kind of talk about how do we kind of validate it or how do we how do we know what we what we think? Well, I think that the the the, the hesitancy to answer that question is the answer to the question. We is, is like we we're fig- we're fumbling around trying to figure it out mm. as a, as a species. You know, our our ideas on what our subconscious is and how it affects our or is it subconscious or unconscious? Uh, unconscious is the term I'm using. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. What our unconscious, what what control our unconscious has over our behaviors and our feelings? It's really a field that we're kind of. You're having a crack at, you know, it's yeah. not like, oh, no, it's definitely seven. That's it. Yeah. We've got the answer. That's right. And I think perhaps it's, a, it's because one of the problems is that we like to know, you know, in the kind of a more scientific era where we can get answers and we can do tests and things. We're also seeing a rise in mental illness. I think World Health Organization thinks depression is going to be the leading cause of disability by 2020. Um, so... So in oh. this age of knowing and knowledge, when it comes to something that's hard to define and hard to know, we're very skeptical. But at the same time, we're living in a time where the, the kind of the overarching um, power of science has perhaps contributed to the fact that there are so many people who aren't adapting well to this society, mm. that knowing is actually part of the problem. And so making yes. room for the things that we don't know and, and can't necessarily accurately uh, box up and label is actually a really important part of our human experience that we're not developing at the moment. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that, that seems to make a lot of sense. You're right. If, if we can't answer the question, it becomes quite frustrating because there are a lot of questions that we can answer. And I wonder if perhaps as technology improves and we move through, through advancements in technology and, and having, for instance, now we all have a device on us at all times <laughs> that can answer pretty definitively, or at least what we think, most questions, mm. you know, who was the guy in that movie? In the 70s, we'd be like, oh, you either know it or you don't know. Mm. And maybe you get it wrong. But now you go... Done. It was that guy instantly. Yeah. And there's so many things like that. What's the weather going to be? Well, you know, there, there was there was very there was there is very little left up to to intuition. Mm. And um, I, I wonder if perhaps the the comfort of getting answers in certain things in our life is making the discomfort of not having answers in other things feel more painful. Mm. And, and, and I also think it's, it's the ease of getting the answer. It's just like it's right there yeah. right now all the time. You can, you can get it right away, anything you want. But, yeah. but why, why am I not happy? <laughs> you know, yeah. like um, so we've got everything or a lot of us have access to, you know, a lot of material wealth and pleasures and spoils that only kings could dream of not so long ago. Yes. yes, you know, we're still literally like you know living yeah. like 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 yeah. uh, two hundred years ago, like yeah. the better than kings yeah. were. So 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 we we continue to 
try uh, externally to gratify ourselves and seek the answers outside of ourselves. Um, technology doesn't necessarily facilitate a deeper relationship with oneself, whereas in therapy, the task would be coming to know oneself at a deeper level through trying to get in touch with the unconscious, trying to really trying to get in touch with past memories, trying to get in touch with one's emotions and emotional responses. Um, that kind of, it's kind of like a mindfulness thing um, mm. to really figure out uh, who I am and what I'm here to do and why life feels this way and why I do this and what my dreams mean and, you know, all these sorts of things. These are all within us. You know, these are not things that are externally available to us. So if the whole paradigm is, you know, go out there and seek something from with, you know, from externally, go and establish your identity, your ego in society, get more Facebook likes, be, you know, on Forbes millionaire list or whatever, or even simpler, get a house and, and get a wife, you know, and then you get there and it's like, oh, is, I'm still unhappy. Well, yeah, because you're just buying into this kind of external set of um, six steps, you know. Yeah. And the real work's a lot harder than that. That stuff's kind of easy, you know. Yeah. But getting to know yourself and, um, and, and realizing the things that have happened to you in your life that have contributed to the way you function now um, can be incredibly painful. So, yeah. Well, there's this inherent desire for us to to not exert ourselves and i wonder if that comes from just a survival instinct i remember seeing some documentary and they were talking about um it was it was about weight gain essentially but it would they use this analogy of a shark and if a shark is close to some food here and further away from some food over here it just instinctively goes to the closer food. <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah. You know, why would it expel more energy to go to the other food? Mm. And that's a very simple analogy, but I think it's it's the same kind of thing that exists within us so that if if there's something that, mm. sure. that you yeah. know, you, we, we're trying to dive into that is going to make us change for the better, yeah. but it's going to hurt now the innate desire is to go, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do the work that, which is, which is a tough thing to overcome, but, but it seems to be, and I don't, I guess what I'm asking is I wonder if that's naturally in everyone or if that's been kind of strengthened in us because of the way that we live. Yeah. I mean, I, I think. And I'm going to need a definitive answer from you, no, because we're all over (laughs) Well, um, yeah. Let me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I think it's a it's a really interesting um, point, and I think that you know our brains are built in like three different structures, and there's more of a a reptilian brain at the core. So it's likely we do function in some ways uh, like a shark in terms of you know the closest meal. Why would I exert myself further than the closest meal I can get? But the, the difference is we've evolved into being kind of meaning-making. We need to make meaning from things and we need to, you know, we we um, recreate art and music and symbols and we have a, a rich um, inner, inner world. And so that response to just grabbing what is the nearest thing 
um, doesn't fulfill that higher functioning that we all we all have, you know. Oh, yeah, clearly not. So it may yeah. be a primitive drive, maybe a more kind of basic level of being in the world. I need to eat, I need to sleep, I need to procreate, whatever. But beyond those needs, there, um, yeah. And and I and I do think it is part of evolution that we are becoming more focused on things that were not even um, acknowledged, issues that weren't acknowledged in the past, like depression and anxiety, and these being symptoms of the kind of psychic development of the species so we can move forward and evolve you know it's mm. it's always pain where you're growing absolutely yes yes it's almost inevitable it's almost inevitable to mm. have growth without some kind of discomfort mm. or pain mm. it's perhaps impossible and, and it just appears on a on a wider level on a uh, you know at, at least in the western world that the mental health is where this pain is being embodied that's the you know it's the most kind of yeah it's so viral you know that there's there's something going on there i i think with psychotherapy you are obviously it's not going to be effective unless there's honesty the whole situation has to be has to begin with honesty regardless of how much guilt or shame an individual may be feeling but I feel like in the in the social media world, there seems to be quite the opposite of that. Mm. You know, people are portraying themselves in a way that is really not honest with how they're feeling. Mm. You know, people will portray their best version of themselves. The, you know, and I'm guilty of it. We're, we've all done mm. it. You ta- you're mm. going to put something online, and you take five photos. You put up the best photo, mm. and you and you get it right, and you put up the best version. And that's even the most innocent version of it. You know, mm. then there there comes the things where there's the face tune, and there's all that stuff, and you actually make yourself appear to be someone more enhanced than you really are. And I think that can probably be perpetuating this this situation of when you're back in your actual life and you can't make your face look better than it is and you can't change the angle of the thing you just said because it's happened and it's real, that can create a a bigger gap between what we feel like we're putting out there on social media and what we're actually living. Yeah, I mean, there's so much much to social media. There's so many layers and... I think, you know, of the kind of girls or, or men with eating disorders and how they they have private groups and Instagram accounts and, you know, this is one example, self-harm is another one, where the internet actually creates competition for their, their illness, essentially. You know, so it's even an even darker kind of perspective, but I, I think essentially social media is is kind of your your ego presentation of yourself so it is the, <laughs> just the you know what you want people yeah. to see and so what happens is you end up presenting the part of yourself that you want people to see at the expense of showing the true parts of yourself that you desperately want people to understand but you can't acknowledge that. You know, Facebook is, is in a way encourages people to split themselves between who they are and who they want other people to see that they are. And I think that effect is, is toxic because what do people put time into? Getting the photos, getting the likes, whatever, yeah, rather than yeah. putting in time into their own 
you know, their fuller self, like what are the things that I can work? What if I took all the time I spent on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, whatever, and actually put just a quarter of that into working or going to the gym or going to a therapist or just meditating or something like that, things that no yeah. one will ever see perhaps, but I contribute to your health for the people who are around you, not your yeah. 1,000 Facebook friends, you know? Yeah. Did you know that recently they've, they've uh, I don't know if they've done it in New Zealand, but in Australia on Instagram they've taken the likes thing away. So you can still like a, a photo, yeah. but you it doesn't show the tally to everybody how many people liked the photo. Mm. So you as a user can see how many people liked your photo, but there's an extra step you've got to do to go in and see that. <laughs> So, uh, it's, I want, and I, I don't know why there wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, I a think, mental health thing. Is what I've heard. Yes, I, I think. Yeah, yes, I, yes. I, I think. Which, yeah. I mean, that's a healthy step. I think, but I also question if it's actually if it's similar to what they did with Facebook when they stopped pages from having the same amount of organic reach, and so you had to then advertise more to reach the same amount of people. Ah, I don't know if course. it's related to that, but you know, there's there's a. There, I mean, look. I mean, if Instagram or Facebook were interested in mental health, they wouldn't be operating, you know. Um, You're exactly it's, right. It's, and there's, I mean, these are, these are huge commodities and why would they be making changes? This is a very sceptical way of looking at it, but I feel like it's probably accurate. Why would they be making changes that are more so directed towards the mental health of people and, and don't have a financial gain element mm. to them? Mm. Um, there's got to be something in it for them. Yeah, and I think time will time will tell. You know, I I guess Facebook is a bit like McDonald's. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's kind of it's it's a quick fix to a very you know complicated problem. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time you had McDonald's? Ah, oh. <laughs> good, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm no saint, mate. I'm no saint, but. I tell you what, I have I have recently actually. I just started doing this thing called the Kai Box, which is a, a New Zealand plant based kind of meal provider. So, cool. You kind of you you order, you know, you, you you order from them, and they send you all the ingredients and recipes for four meals. That are, oh, so you so you make the meal, yeah. but they give you the oh, nice. That's right. Yeah, you you make the meal, but they give you all the ingredients. And um, are you enjoying it? Oh, I. I've actually only had one box so far, which is, right. and I'm just over the moon about it. Um, cool. Because I guess I'm interested in the whole plant-based thing, but I don't have enough recipes, and mm. this just makes it easy because the meals are really well flavored and they're filling mm. and they're healthy, and I don't have to go out and buy the ingredients and work out the meals or anything. So it's it's a yeah. it's a really interesting way of eating. Quite yeah, off topic from the right. unconscious, but you know, um, yeah, <laughs> still yeah. based. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've been, oh, yeah, I've been doing the plant based thing for, fuck, I think it's nearly five or six years mm. now, maybe a bit more. Mm. And I, I agree with you that when you first, because I, you know, I used to eat a lot of meat. I used mm. to eat a whole chicken a day. I'd, I'd have, I'd get a barbecue chicken. I'd have half of it for lunch. And I'd have the other half for dinner and that would be the food I would eat pretty much. Mm. So mm. going from basing everything around meat and having other stuff to fill the plate and then taking out the main thing and going, all right, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> it can be quite a tricky, tricky thing. So Absolutely. that's that for me was the hardest, was the hardest thing when, when Laurel and I 
did it because mm. we it was lucky we did it. I was lucky we did it together, mm. and it's easy mm. when you got a buddy to do it with. But being able to figure out what you're going to eat and enjoy it mm. that's that's a challenge. So so anything that that helps that dude is is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess it's a it's a it's a comment on you know we do have technologies like Facebook and Instagram, but we also have kind of new business businesses that are um, I don't know are they taking advantage of technologies. Not really. There's some good progress and some not so good progress. <laughs> yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was going to ask you how how old did, were you when you started having these kind of existential thoughts? Has this been something? I mean, if, if for as long as I've known you, there's always been this. And you hit it very well when I first met you, but I knew it was in there. Um, Love but, it. But yeah, this underlying kind of what is the matrix. <laughs> thing you know oh, I love it I watched that movie last night absolutely did amazing. you I'm in the middle of watching it oh, again too incredible piece of work yeah <laughs> isn't it amazing oh, it's absolutely, just fascinating yeah a masterpiece I, I mean a matrix is, is a great um movie to talk about the idea of the conscious and the unconscious because the matrix itself could be is like the conscious world it's what we know it's the the I'm sorry. I'm talking about the the program world. I think that's what they call the matrix, right? Is that the yes, yeah, yes? And then and so that's the conscious self, and then it's programmed. It, it runs to its orders, um, and then the unconscious being the underworld, where you have mm. these rebellious kind of urges, these rebels um, who are breaking mm. forth into the conscious world and causing, you know, they're disrupting the order, which is kind of how the unconscious and conscious relates to one another. It's no one wants to be depressed. No one wants to have, you know, sexual urges or whatever, but they come from somewhere. These rebellious things. And we try to get rid of them instead of understanding what they are. And just imagine if in the matrix and the conscious world, they understood what these rebels were trying to achieve, how that would transform. Mm. Yeah. Every, it runs human experience. Absolutely. Yes. Such a, such a visionary movie. That <laughs> story. Is, yeah. Like I've watched it so many times now. And it's just it's just brilliant. It is, eh? It's really, really profound, actually, I think. Yeah. 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 So so how how old do you remember being when you started to kind of see how deep the rabbit hole goes? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think I've ever had to answer that before, so I'm not quite sure. Um I really do. You, do you think it's something that's always been with you? This kind of curiosity of what, what you know, a, a deeper meaning in life, and what's the purpose of being alive, and that kind of. Thing. <laughs> I guess I mean, the reason I, I ask. Yeah, yeah. Go, keep going. Well, I was going to say. I guess the reason I ask is because I, I remember I have a, I have a memory of me lying in bed looking at the ceiling, mm. and I think I'd just woken up from a dream, and I was thinking, or either that, or I was about to go into a dream, so I was in a different conscious state and just thinking about the planets and the stars and thinking about what happens after I die mm. and getting myself full of existential dread because <laughs> I was thinking how what there's not really any point to it. Mm. And it wasn't essentially a nihilistic thought, but it was just it was just a thought about about nobody's telling me anything about this. Sure. Yeah. And I think that I, if I can picture what was around me in my bedroom, it was my young childhood bedroom. So I was probably about six 
because mm. uh, I can see the curtains next to me and the curtains have got like a rainbow and a tractor or something on them. And I don't have those curtains anymore. <laughs> I just threw them out a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> but what a moment though. Yeah. What a moment. And it's so, very, it's yeah. quite vivid, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess what I'm asking is, is do you have anything similar? I, there's nothing I can pinpoint uh, pre- precisely. Um, I think I've always been interested in, I think I guess I've always been quite introspective, so spending a lot of time <laughs> thinking about things, um, but also connected to in, like empathetic, so I'm interested in how other people kind of work and I've been like that I was a I was born a twin so I had a twin sister and I think that was part of mm. kind of being involved in being in uh, being I don't know how you put it not being not necessarily being the center of things but having to be mm. someone between things this the sense of being in between is something I can relate to and I think um I think it probably comes from that space somewhat well I always forget that you're a twin mm. That's a fascinating phenomenon in itself. Mm, mm. Yeah, okay. So it's just kind of it's kind of been with you. Well, I would a, have to think about it more, I guess, to really feel like I was giving you a it's something for me to think about, I suppose. Yeah. It's not really that important. It's just <laughs> <laughs> just curious. Well, I think all. it can be profoundly important that moment of of yeah. of realizing um how vulnerable you are in this world and how little you know. And um, Yes. It's terrifying, you know. It really is, especially when when you're when it's framed that we do know that we do have all the answers, mm. and the and you and as a kid you are yet to learn them, but you will as you get older. I'll tell you when you're older, you know that kind of you'll get it, but you're not ready yet, but you'll get them all, and then you yeah. become an adult and you go. Still haven't got them all. Um, when are they? When am I going to get all the answers? Yeah. I, I was sure I was going to get them when I was a kid, but um, no, no, still waiting. Mm. And I and I think there's another layer as well, which is when we're infants and young children, we're usually treated in a very well. We're the centre of our own universes, essentially. So we come to know what it is to be loved in whatever way we are loved, and for the rest of our lives, we're kind of searching for that same level of care and attention whether it's dysfunctional or not and I, and I think the answers to the questions are irrelevant is if one feels loved you know but the the, the problem is being loved from other people is uh, is a bit of a treacherous path whereas you know fostering a sense of compassion and care for oneself is more supportive ultimately through those existential crises there can be a holding of oneself that it doesn't make it seem as bad as it could if you just felt alone, you know. Yeah, well, a lot of, lot of good stuff in that one. <laughs> what's it what's good me, in it for you? What comes up for you? Well, yeah, I, I guess uh, just trying to understand where if we are being raised in the most optimal manner, oh, you know, right. and whether I always have this thought that, what what is nature and what is how much is nature and how much is nurture and it's a very difficult question to answer and again you know trying to find the answers to things is probably not the healthiest way to constantly be focusing on things but it, it is it is a question that such an that, important that, question though yeah it does intrigue me a lot and i often think about how are we in certain 
frames of mind as an adult because of what's happened to us as a child or mm. or regardless of what's happened to us as a child and how do people feel about themselves and about the world when they are raised in a completely different manner for instance in a tribal manner mm. and and I always question when people say you know that's just human nature you know or he's doing that because it's human nature or she's like that because it's it's just in her nature I guess I've always thought, well, it's a hard one to know whether that's true because there's no way for her or him to grow up in a different manner. They've, they're done. They've grown up mm. they're, or, or they're growing up, you know. So I, I guess I, there's probably some studies on tribal people and, and, and how they how <laughs> Well, they I mean, you adults. are a tribal person as well. You know, yes. Not forget yes, that's, that's true. where you come from too. But um, uh, the um, – one thing you might want to look up is epigenetics, which is about how different genes are activated um, depending on our experiences. Um, so, I just heard is it is it Bruce Lipton who was talking about that? I'm not sure um, who it is, um, but there's a, I think there's a couple of neuroscientists and psychologists who it's a really kind of becoming field at the moment. But it it mm. it kind of combines what you're talking about in terms of my genetic material, my ancestry, my, you know, and also my experiences. So how, for example, being abused as a child could activate the depression gene uh, and, mm. and play out later in life. I mean, yeah, for me personally, I think it's, I think you can't separate nature versus nurture. The two interact together, uh, which makes yes. for quite a complicated drama. But I, I do think what has happened to us in our histories really is still with us in this moment. So in a sense, you know, our past is still plays out right in our present as well. Because if, if um trying to think of some examples, but I guess we see it a lot in the hero's journey in movies. And if you look at... um look at any stories of famous people, there's usually something in the childhood that contributes to where they go later on in life. And we, we kind of watch movies and read stories like that without having to acknowledge the fact that, oh, actually what happened to me in childhood has also affected the way my life has turned out as well. But mm. there seems to be a little bit of just general understanding that the events that happen to us in our lives affect the way that we, how we develop and grow. Yes, you, you're dead right. It is very difficult to separate those two things, the nature and the nurture, because, yeah, they go hand in hand. I mean, I, mean, I, I often wonder too about how can a certain series of events affect one individual and how differently those same similar kind of events may affect another. You know, yeah. one incident, a small incident of schoolyard bullying mm. may completely break a person mm. and then 90% of other people may be completely fine or may even become stronger from it but it's the same thing and 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 that that again is 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 all so personal to that individual circumstances and and whatever it is that's happened to them and makes their brain or their mind should i say um work the way it works certain things can can be far more triggering for those individuals than than a lot of other people sure yeah different levels of sensitivity just yeah um differences in character and um, you know, I, I, one of the um, fascinating things I find is um, kind of the gender differences and 
when teaching young boys because I teach some um, at a primary school I teach some guitar there and you know you kind of see how maybe a boy is eight years old or seven years old and his favorite color is pink and I'd kind of be like oh that's interesting and then you know by nine or ten there's no way that their favorite color is pink and so Mm. when you're talking about how are we bringing up children how could we you know, could we be doing it better? I think there's no doubt that we've still got a lot of work to do, you know. Just look at the school system and the way that yeah. it, it kind of, you know, kids who are too energetic are labelled, you know, ADHD. Um, yes. It's just like, there's something wrong with them. Yeah, well, you imagine being a kid who's now being diagnosed, you're ADHD, maybe you're on some medications. You know, you go to school, you act out, you're just being you. You get told off. The kids don't want to be your friend anymore because you're ADHD. So they like call you names and that. You know, you're outcast, man. Like yeah, that's gonna yeah. cause a secondary issue for this child of being like, I've never belonged. You know, they're gonna grow up never belonging. Yeah. For example, yeah, yeah. for example, yeah. I mean, I I kind of have this this thought about the danger of a diagnosis. You know, once you're slapped with that diagnosis, it's official. Mm. You've got this. And it's almost like it's twofold because, you know, we know the power of a placebo mm. and how and how effective that can that can be if you know something is true, whether it's true or not. You you can thirty percent of the time it will happen, mm. just because you in inverted commas know it's going to happen. But then also it can become like a bit of a something you can lean on. You know, oh, I've got ADHD, so it's not my fault. Whether and, and, and again, you may not, that poor kid may not even have that. He's just pumped. Mm. He's just got too much energy. Mm. You know, they just need to go and run around. Mm. But Well, they ideally they need a school system that can actually cater to individuals rather than yes. the kind of the, 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 the generalised horde, you know. And that's what I love about teaching music one-on-one is that you get to meet the individual where they are. And I think it's the same for therapy too. It's, it's, it's not in a group. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, the, the, the diagnostic thing is more the medical, you know, it's the Western medical model of um, kind of pharmaceuticals and, and, and going, yeah, this is what you have and this is what you need for it. That's how the business kind of works. Here are the products that we have mm. for this particular diagnosis. Yeah, and I think that's quite, <laughs> quite challenging for people who are, having, are really struggling with challenges in life um, because it's saying the cure is outside of you. You need to take yeah, this yeah. and put this inside your broken self to be fixed again. Whereas, well, know? the truth when you really, yeah, when you really think about it. Sorry to cut you off. Okay. How many, how many times do we know of a pill or or a medicine, like a physical medicine that will cure an illness? I mean, unless it's an acute infection, like penicillin. Okay, great, very effective. But 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 beyond that, there's not really. Any that I can think of. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But yet that that's kind of the way that we attack it is that you need to put this in you. Or also it just happens that you have to do it forever as long as you're alive. <laughs> you have to continue putting this in you. It's not going to fix the problem. It's just going to squish the symptoms. That's right. Yeah. It's disempowering. It is. Mm. And it's just narrow. So it's just even if it's a medical condition, it doesn't seem to, you know, 15 minutes with a doctor. I mean, if you went into a doctor – uh, I know here in New Zealand, you go into a doctor and say, I can't sleep, you know, I'm feeling really down. It's been like this for weeks. They're just going to prescribe you some antidepressants. 
And, you know, these days they might offer you uh, or suggest for you to go to therapy or or whatever, but, um, but that's kind of like... It's a very shallow response to a much deeper problem, at least in my perspective. I agree. I agree. I think it, it as you kind of alluded to before, it, it it seems when you can really step back from it, it seems more about pushing pharmaceuticals and products than fixing the problem, mm. because it doesn't which <laughs> it doesn't fix the problem. Mm. And I think this is one of the issues: is that is that the fixing of problems, especially when they're mental, is a difficult and lengthy process, and so it costs mm. money. And people don't yeah. want difficult and lengthy um, solutions. Solutions, they want yeah. Now, you know? Well, and, and also, as what we were talking about before, with the one kid who gets bullied in school gets emotionally broken and all the other kids are fine, mm. that points out that it's a – it doesn't work like that. Like, like you can't, you, you have to meet them one-on-one mm. because treating this one kid, talking to this one kid and figuring out what affected them is not going to be the same as the other kid. Whereas you give all the kids the pills <laughs> as if it's just going to work with all of yes, them. Yes, that's right. And I think also, I think so often it appears to me that, you know, in childhood we're kind of robbed of our individuality to survive, we have to repress it and adapt to the norms of the family or the social environment, the school, whatever. And then in adulthood, we're on, we're, we're, we're left searching to get back in touch with it again. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or, or we have a um, midlife crisis. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's the, and that's the beginning of the, of, of the search of where have I lost myself? And I think so often it yeah. does go back into childhood where the, where the losing begins. Because it, or yeah. you can find it in a sports car or a boat. <laughs> that's, that's your first stop before, you, before yeah. you have to admit to yourself, actually, I need to do some work. Yeah, I looked everywhere mm. in the boat and it's not in there. Mm. Affairs as well, you know, sexual yeah. affairs, sexual relationships. There's yeah. a whole lot of um, appealing options. Yeah. I have an idea. I was talking about this with my folks the other day about teaching and, and, and the schooling system. Mm. And I was th- and I don't know if this has already been put into place somewhere. I know that in – I think it's in Switzerland. Um, I know in Scandinavia they've got some – more progressive and alternative educational methods. Sure. But I was thinking about a schooling method where the first couple of weeks is just analyzing how each child learns because we all have different learning methods. Mm. So instead of all being thrown into the same learning method, we actually figure out how each kid learns. Mm. Like I, I, for instance, never did – I didn't do too great at school. Right. But I, because I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't retain the information. Mm-hmm. And I found it's because I'm, I'm a, I'm a, well, I'm a creative person and I'm also a listening person. Mm. And I think I need to be a bit more hands-on. Mm. Whereas when it comes to just writing things down, it just doesn't work for me. But yet there'd be other kids who they just, they just nail it. And mm. they're the kids who, who get awarded the A's and are the, and are the, the smartest kids and the best kids, you know. Yeah. You, and it's hard not to compare yourself sure. to those other kids because you're not as smart as them. But mm. is that the truth or is it because you're not being taught in a way that works for your mind? So, so we, what we're going to do mm. is you and I are going to put in all our money. I've roped you into this, right? And we're going to create a brand new schooling system. 
Yeah, I think I think it will be called homeschooling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good <laughs> get the parents yeah. involved. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I agree, yeah. man. I and I think yeah, that's a great example of of how um, how focused the curriculum is on, um, I guess, reading and writing skills. And um, you know, I, I've been thinking lately. Um, some of the lectures I go to, I've been thinking about. They're three hours long, and the person just stands there talking for three hours, and I'm like, is this really? how education, I, I get disengaged, you know, like it's fascinating stuff, but it's like, I want to hold something or, you know, I want it to be more real. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. I, and I, and I wonder also if that's typically more of a male thing or a masculine thing to, to want to be more um, hands on with learning. Well, I think that that's, I, I agree with you. And I mean, and I think there's a lot of evidence to show that it, that is the case. And I and I you know in this fantasy system that that I'm creating, you, you would you would do a little bit of assessment on each child and figure out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, how they retain things, and, and then and then you can group them together. So, for instance, you can have a class of the listening learners. You can have a class mm. of the so-called ADD kids, and they pretty much spend most of their lessons outside. You know, you have a class of the mm. bookworm kids, head down, writing, that kind of thing. And so then at least you can have a teacher that is of the same mindset. So they don't have to do as much adapting because they already mm. know mm. they're going on the way they naturally learn, mm. teaching these kids the way these kids naturally learn, at least in a closer a closer manner. Yeah, and I mean, and I think teachers, you know, at the moment, probably always, but definitely at the moment, have a hell of a job on their hands. Oh, well, yeah. they get paid next to nothing as it is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's rough. Mm. Yeah. And just the level of responsibility, The you've got the parents, you've got your boss, the principal, you've got the children as well. You've mm. got so many mm. conflicting um, uh, inputs. And, and I, yeah, I think a lot about why there aren't more male primary school teachers you know, because how can we engage males to learn at that level? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Personally, I think it's because most of the time we suspect if a male is interested in children, then he must have some kind of sexual urges towards kids or we have this kind of right. a pedophile right. kind of suspicion of, of men. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I sense that is something here in New Zealand. I mean, I, 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 know, I know what you're talking about, yes. Yes, mm. definitely. People, uh, and it's really sad mm. that 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 is. Well, I mean, we don't even have to talk about how sad pedophilia is, but it's sad that that kind of that I think males are afraid mm. to get too mm. close to to mm. children in a in a nurturing manner for fear of being labelled as a pedophile. Mm. And and I think it, it 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 extends to fathers being fathers to their sons. To, to boys to, to bring boys into manhood you know um that 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 attitude of not being totally enthusiastic or knowing how to engage in a in a healthy relationship with with your child or younger adult you know yeah totally um coming back to what you're talking about before with the unconscious mm. and how it affects us i had um a very weird well, all dreams are weird, but I had quite an odd dream last night and I thought that I would talk to you about dream analysis because mm. uh, I know you've done a little bit of little bit of work on this dream analysis stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big, big 
Mentor dreams. Yeah, mm. cool, cool. Me too. <laughs> so do you know what it means when there's snakes in your dream? <laughs> I love this. This is the, yeah. this is the get classic. Get your cards out. This is the classic. <laughs> Let me get the dream icon dictionary now. Yeah. Snakes yeah, in a exactly. dream, you're going to die in 24 days, okay? Okay, good. Right, All right. right. That'll be $100. That's what I thought it was. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Excellent. You, you played that out perfectly. Tell me more um, about the dream. If you, if you want to talk about the dream, you'll have to tell me more about it. Okay, sure. So I was some I was outside somewhere. A friend Jimmy was there. Mm-hmm. My wife Laurel was there. Mm-hmm. And our two dogs, two little dogs were there. And then I noticed that there are all these snakes mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, oh dear. I hope the dogs don't get bitten by a snake. And then the next thing I knew, both of the dogs were wrapped up in snakes. Mm-hmm. And the snakes were trying to swallow the, the dogs. So I yelled, We need to stop this. Mm. So I need like a a shovel or something so I can kill the snakes. Mm. Because as a child, we would, I grew up on a farm Mm -hmm. and we had a hundred acres and I've killed snakes before. Okay. And so some, I think Jimmy got me an ax and, uh, and I chopped the heads off these snakes and was then having to pull the dogs out of the snakes' mouths. And then I woke up. So, you know, pretty standard stuff. <laughs> so where were you? Where were you outside? I was, I was outside somewhere. I don't know. It wasn't a familiar place. But the scene, this whole thing of, of killing snakes is familiar to your childhood in a way. Yes, I have, I have done it in real life. Yeah. And when you did more it than, in real life, one. did yeah. you ever, were there ever two snakes or dogs involved? Yes, there was a dog involved. There was never two snakes, but I once I killed a snake because it was my dog was very very close to it. Mm. But the other thing that I remember was I wasn't too fast, mm. like I wasn't terrified. In the and then dream, or in real life, in the, in the dream, in mm. the dream, I was obviously stressed out, but I was in yeah. action mode. Yeah. And then when I woke up, I woke up thinking, "Wow, I was like that was a crazy dream." And then I played it out again in my mind. I was thinking, "Wow, that's actually quite disturbing." And I was surprised how I wasn't that disturbed by it. I'm disturbed now that <laughs> I talk about it. Uh, but in, I guess in the scenario, the adrenaline, had, the dream adrenaline had kicked in. So the snakes are big. They were, they were big and the dogs were smaller than they actually are. Mm. I guess they What were, was yeah. Lowell doing while you were involved with the snakes? She was near me, but she was letting me take care of it. And Jimmy was getting you an axe. He was around too and he was letting me take care of it as well. What do you think the snakes could represent? Well, I have been on a bit of a path recently of exercising self-discipline and kind of what we talked about earlier about um, taking control of doing things that I feel like I don't want to do, mm-hmm. little discipline, disciplinary things that I would rather mm-hmm. avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps it's addressing things that scare me because, mm-hmm. um, you know, not that I'm overly terrified of snakes any more than the next person, but, you know, mm, mm. It, that would be certainly frightening enough. So. Stressful work. Mm. And it's unknown what's going to happen. I, I wonder if, if in your dream, if, if the dogs are the more kind of symbols of, of the more kind of instinctual drives that you have, you know, they kind of, they get in trouble with these snakes. Of, of course they do, these dogs, you know, they're mischief. Mm. And then you have to kind of rescue them from the the, the, jaw, the jaws of these snakes, pull them out. You're having to exert this willpower to to prevent them from 
being destroyed. Yeah, and it is a certain, it is a lot of willpower, I guess, because you've got to put yourself in a in a situation of danger for yourself. That's right, and and or at least it feels that way, right? It's yeah. like it may it may historically have been dangerous, like to mm. put yourself in these new situations and change your behaviour, and so it feels very real, but. The dream would indicate that actually you you did save the dogs. You do get out all right. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But it's the it's but, the but action. It's also, it, mm. it's also independence as well because you don't really have anybody else directly helping you. You're given the axe, Correct. but you're not helped. You know, really. You know, you're in this one alone. You're on a journey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually that. that's actually something that I learned from my last psychedelic experience was it basically told me stop coming here you (laughs) you it was basically like you have work to do on your own i'm not going to give you the answers anymore (laughs) yeah and that was that was years ago a few years ago now but that's something that you know these things can take a very long time to integrate so that's that kind of um growing up and 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 becoming the man that i'm supposed to be is, is has been a bit of a a bit of a theme for me recently, so perhaps it's it's on that same path. Well, I mean, in the, me yeah. taking action. Yeah. Well, you certainly are in the dream, you know, and a heroic in a, in a sense um, because you're you've, you've, you're saving the dogs, you know. Yeah. Well, how, how do you feel about dreams? All sorts of things. Yeah. Do you think that we are entering a place? Or a, a, a place of existence that is always there, and we just come in and out. Or do you think it's just a pattern of our consciousness? <laughs> I think that's a fascinating question, and yeah. I really can't answer it. I don't know. Right. Um, but I, I guess what I think I think dreams are are the only way we really have of connecting directly to our unconscious and. Yeah then having uh, a way of of delivering to us from inside wisdom mm. or knowledge that we need. Dreams are, you know, for many psychotherapists are, and, and some counsellors too, or dream workers, they're crucial tools for for the therapeutic work because they you can't really get a better source of information than a dream mm. of what's going on within someone. And that, that's that's where I stand on it at this stage anyway. Some dreams can be extremely powerful. The the symbols and the um, what they point to that's happening within the individual. To me, dreams can mean a lot. Well, I think that's another. Th- well, a, a really great example of what we were talking about before with the the unexplored unconscious and, and us not really having a whole lot of answers about what's going on. I mean, mm. I mean, dreams couldn't be any any more psychedelic. <laughs> They, you know, and and yet everybody experiences them every single time they go to sleep, mm. whether they remember them or not. You, it's, it's truly a fascinating thing that we just because it happens all the time, and there's not really any mainstream answers or studies of these things. It's just like you just kind of fob it off. Oh, mm. well, yeah, had a, had a weird dream. Yeah, you go about your day, yeah. and there's some interesting <laughs> stuff around like alpha waves and beta waves and the brain waves and different stages of sleep and how they relate to when we're dreaming. And so our brain is actually more active 
in that state mm. of sleep than it is when we're awake, which points to something you know kind of interesting. But but uh, dreams have been a thread of uh, of our history. I mean, in the Bible, the story of Joseph and his dreams, his ability to interpret dreams uh, changed his whole life. In in Egypt, there's you know the first dream or something. There's a has been written out on the stones there. So. Yeah, uh, it's big in Aboriginal culture as well. They have the dream time and they right, yeah. have a very close relationship with the dreams. Yeah, and I think it's a real sign of our age that we would be so disrespectful to something that comes from within us to criticise <laughs> it and to put it aside as if it's some new world, um, not new world, a new age kind of flip-flop. I mean, these are, you know, these are important communications that, that should be held like any other thing we do creatively, you know, with respect. That's what I believe anyway. I agree with you, man. There's got to be so much in there that we are yet to discover and yet to understand. And it's just, it's just staring us in the face every single night, you know. Mm, mm. Did you ever get into the lucid dreaming? I did a little bit, um, but I never, I never could... I never really got there, basically. Right. I got the ones where I would just be, I'd be falling asleep. I can't remember what you call that stage, but. The hypnagogic. Yeah, phase. that's, yeah, kind of in, in that I could move into control from there. But I actually ended up doing so much work on my dreams that lucid, being lucid scares me a bit because I want it to be unconscious, you know. Right. I want it to, for me not to be in control. Um, so, no, I don't know much about. I don't have much personal experience in old lucid. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm probably only a couple of couple of steps further along in the lucid thing than than you. Mm. I got lucid a few times. It's quite a taxing practice. You have to do it. You have to <laughs> yeah. write down your dreams every day. You got to do reality checks to make sure you're not dreaming when you're awake. And then when you do the reality check when you are dreaming, you realize, oh shit, I'm actually dreaming. I've got six fingers, and then you become present in the dream. And you, but you stay in the dream, but you get so excited mm. that you usually come out of the dream. Mm. Mm. Um, and so I got there a couple of times and I was able to explore around, but it's something that I never, I didn't stick with applying myself to it, but mm. it does intrigue me. And it also does terrify me. Mm. I do, I do agree with what you say, how it, it's, it's frightening to be able to meddle with that stuff in there. I think maybe the benefit of lucid becoming a, a strengthening a lucid dream practice would come from being able to get lucid but remain a passenger. Mm. So like rather than changing what you're doing, because there were a few times when I became lucid, I was like, oh, I'm dreaming. And I stopped what was happening in the dream and I went and did something else. Mm. Whereas instead of doing that, perhaps just watching from a more conscious place and letting it play out, but instead of, it would be bringing the mind that you analyze the dream in when you're awake into the dream so that you are still doing what's happening, but it's like you don't have to remember it when you're awake. You can already be present when it is happening. Yeah, and, and I think it provides some opportunities to actually speak to the symbols in the dream. So if you were lucid in the dream with the dogs and the snakes, you could go to the snakes and say, what do you represent? And see yes. what they said back, you know. Yeah, which is which, wow. which you can also do in in conscious waking life, um, in a kind of a psychodrama of it. You can, you know, focus in on the symbol or the character and and talk to them and find out what they have. God, that sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? But it's something that that does happen in in you know. It's great. I love it. 
Mm, you'd, yeah. you'd be surprised what can come from that. Mm. Yeah. All right, look, let's jump into the the real world. I'd love to talk to you about your world travels. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, you, you're a nutter, bro. You've gone, you've gone to some places on your own yeah. that most people would never dream of going. Mm. Where did you go? To, was it Nepal, Tibet? Yeah, Nepal. Yeah, it's, it's Nepal. been a couple of months in Nepal doing a couple of just just tricks. a couple of months. And... <laughs> so, firstly, what, what, so much respect to you for doing this. It, oh, it blows my mind. Mm. And you did it solo, and you went for months, mm. not only to a country where there's probably not a lot of English speaking. It's not bad. It's not bad. Right. Yeah. But you went on these like solo treks where mm. there's no like you use a map to get from where you're going, right? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you yeah. caveman. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, I don't Firstly, know what, what I was doing. I was going to say what, what, what was it that compelled you to do this? Uh, great question. Hard to know the answer. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's an unanswerable question. It was just in you. It was like, I have to do this. Well, I, I think I at the time I was working in corporate media and I hated my job. And so every weekend I would I would go and and go on outdoor trips and I loved that. Right. And, and, you know, I was on this kind of conveyor belt up through the company and, you know, earning good money and everything was kind of looking good. Apart from inside, I was like, God, there's got to be more to life than this. So that's what I did. I brought a one-way ticket and flew out to Nepal and I thought I could take my kind of weekend adventuring to the next limit. What drew you to Nepal of all places? Yeah, again, it's 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 hard to pinpoint exactly what it was. Um, it just kept coming up and it, there was something just so beautiful about the images I could see of the of the hikes. So I guess at first it was it's 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 wilderness it's beauty the himalayas and the stories of great adventurers that have been through that you know that that area and just the culture everything was just so different so foreign cool. it was it was cool. you know yeah it's, it was it yeah. was calling it was calling and it wouldn't let up and unfortunately my life is full of those things where things just yeah, keep yeah. calling and it has to happen you know so <laughs> that was one of them Right, so you went to Nepal on yeah, your own. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> epic. And it is like it was. I mean, it, it, it yeah, it was a big life changing experience. I guess um, it took me a long time to get to grips with it. You know, from yeah, from uh, just I don't know. It was I. I went there for the adventure, but what I got out of it was actually the people there and the learnings of of kind of the wisdom and these very poor people and the warmth from them. And, and it was something that I felt was just devastatingly lacking from our Western culture, you know. Right. Like these guys are like, there's a lot of, it's very poor country, you know, but they're so warm and and uh, welcoming. It's just, it's hard to get your head around. And, and then, you know, in the more kind of built up areas outside of the, you know, mountain ranges and that, you're just looking at like stray dogs running around and polluted rivers and like rubbish being burnt on the side of the streets. You can be traveling through that for hours. Wow. And it's just like, oh, someone told me the world's going to end one day. I'm like, uh, the world has ended. It's here. You know, wow. like what the fuck? You know, it's yeah, just like. Wow. So yeah. far removed from our Western That's comforts. right. Yeah. We just, it's just really just have no idea what 
other people are uh, going through or what standards they're living in, you know. And yeah. and there's worse than that happening, you know, in, in other places in the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's moving. It was moving for me anyway to see that and to, to really meet that and go, wow, I see what they mean when they say we've, we're, we've got it good. Um, yeah, but at right. the same time, I also see that we're missing something they have too. And I've often thought if the two worlds, the Western and the Eastern, kind of could come together and have some exchange, perhaps we could reach a better, a healthier place, you know. Yeah. Well, I think I predict that we're going to be forced to mm. in a point where things are just going to get, where things are physically going to get so bad in the East and things are emotionally going to get so bad in the West that it's just going to be, we're going to be forced to change mm. or or die out. And I think it's already happening in, in that there's a lot of awareness and, they, you know, there's kids who are like 16 years old doing protests for the environment and stuff and it's like, you know, they have social media but on their accounts they're not putting like golfer on it or whatever. They're like, I'm an activist. It's like, yeah. wow. These kids yeah. have been born into anxiety because of the situation they've inherited and they're not happy about it. No. They don't really they kinda of have to. Like like people, human beings, have to fix these these problems. Mm. Because we, it's like it's just going to go real bad. Mm. It's like it's gonna, it's it's gonna be at a point where it's going to be apocalyptic, <laughs> and like we, you know, these movies that that they, um, when they portray this stuff, it's mm. going to happen if we don't do something, well, or it will happen, and then we'll do something mm. to come out of it. Well, I mean, there's a yeah, I'm amazed on Netflix on the homepage how many how many movies that prop up that are about apocalyptic scenarios. Yes. There's a real a collective anxiety at the moment around the world coming to an end, you know. Yeah. It's a really it's really there and and I wonder what that means and often I I guess I I think it's not about our our the world coming to an end or our, our lives coming to an end but our way of being in the world dying. You're exactly you know? right. I mean the the yeah. the earth will be fine. It's it's human civilization mm. coming to an end. Um, We've had a good time the last hundred years, you know, completely trashed the place. It's been a hell of a party. But, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's time yeah. to face the hangover. And, I had a great time back in the 20s, you know. <laughs> yeah. The, the 1600s is where I really thrived, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, came, you came back from those world travels a genuinely different, different person. It had, it, it had you were a great testament to the old saying of travel broadens the mind and the heart well i i haven't really thought of that too much myself but um i guess it was a pretty yeah it was a pretty full-on experience for me yeah yeah well it would be for anyone to didn't you nearly die at one point probably a few points eh, to me. <laughs> Yeah, well, one, like, one that you know of, like, but yeah, yeah others, yeah. others that you may been, not have even been yeah, aware of. There's been some terror, yeah, some, yeah, the, yeah. I've done some things. Um, a, a lot of it was, I guess, about connection with nature as well. You know, it's yes. about connection, connecting with the outdoor environment, and um, something really special about that. And I mm. think it's become a really big thing as well. Like a lot of Instagram is about beautiful outdoor locations. This kind of irony. But I'm not really answering your question here, am I? I'm kind of getting. You don't have to go into the story if you don't want to. 
What was the what were you what did you what were you looking for? What were, did you? Oh want? no, I was just asking about how the time you nearly died. Oh, oh, yeah. We don't have to talk about it. Is that the high altitude one? Is that the yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh man, I'm such a Kiwi, eh? Like, just, <laughs> you know. Um, in case you couldn't already tell, yeah, yeah, you are a Kiwi, yes, yeah, um, yeah. Well, look, I just thought we could speed up our uh, uh, um, the itinerary a little bit and skip skip a few stops. So we did a like a twelve hundred meter, you know, ascent in a day, and I thought we would be fine because we'd been at uh, you know like three thousand eight hundred meters earlier in the week, so we should be acclimatized. We get to this um, little village thing these houses like aluminium made out of like just aluminium walls man like fuck it was minus four degrees and um and it's and it's new year's eve and there's like and i like go to eat something in the in this like little dining room area thing and i'm just like man i'm not feeling too good i'm gonna go to sleep so i leave and i go back into the room and i'm like yeah, I'm just like getting real cold and I can't like put on any clothes or anything. Like I'm just losing like muscle control. And so um, my girlfriend who I was with at the time like comes into the room like an hour later and I'm just like fucking freezing up. And uh, right, so she, yeah, that's right. She came and met you. Yeah, yeah. Midway. Yes. Through the strip, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. And so that was lucky. Um, but yeah, it just just spent the next two days just really sick and I just we were really close to the point we're like 10 days in and we were one day off the the key kind of vista and so I was really holding on that this sickness would pass that it wasn't a big deal and I and then it was just like fuck now nah, this is this is just bad like I'm diarrhea all the time I couldn't hold oh, because I was going to ask what are the symptoms of altitude sickness like 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 physical sickness, vomiting and diarrhea. Yeah, and that, just... Well, no, I don't think they list diarrhea as one. I think that was a secondary issue that I had at the time. So that was right. that was weakening, you know, me. Um, and it was yeah. man, it was terrible. But um, but it's like nausea, headaches, diff- just weakness. Um, Did you feel like it? Was there almost some psychosis involved? Yeah, good question. I had a dream. I had a lot of dreams actually because I kept falling asleep all the time and I was dreaming a lot and I got to that point where I was like, man, my dreams are so much better than my life, <laughs> you know? Like wow. it was just like I just want to stay there. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. Ended up getting down, but yeah, it was um yeah, it was Woo! it was you just don't know with that thing when it's going to like when you just pass out and get a, a bleed out or whatever, you know what I mean. Like with altitude yeah. sickness, it doesn't it doesn't show you exactly when it's going to take you or whatever. Wow, man! Yeah, wow. That's um, that's a real uh, that's a real tale. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I should have been more careful in hindsight, but uh, well, you 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 probably will be in the future. Yeah, well, I haven't done I haven't done anything too crazy lately. I mean, I now I explore the psyche instead of the outside world because I yeah. what what happened is I figured out I would end up spending the rest of my life traveling to keep that buzz going because you know the places out there are amazing, the beauty and the the stillness and the wild. You know, it's super beautiful, but you just can't really do that for your whole life. Well, I didn't feel like 
there were other things I wanted in my life as well as that. Yep. And so I thought, what can I do? Well, I guess doing therapy is similar. <laughs> you just sit yeah. down while you travel into somebody's mind, you know. Yep, can probably be equally as as uh, as treacherous and frightening, but um, equally as rewarding. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, should we wrap it up, mate? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. How do we do that? <laughs> well, I, the... I guess we're doing it. I guess. Yeah. I guess I say, should we wrap it up? And you go, yeah. And yeah. then um, I go, no, no. We'll keep the tape rolling, mate. We're just getting started here. <laughs> <laughs> just getting into the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for chatting with me, bro. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a yeah. pleasure. We'll do another one um, in person when yeah. uh, when when we're in person next. Yeah, hopefully this um, this uh, I, I don't know if we're talking on tape or off tape now. So do we do we talk, like do I pretend that we're still in the podcast right well, now? Well, you, you can see that's the beauty of <laughs> I'm in a great position now because I'm in control and you, right. you're never going to know. Yes, I'm going to edit right. you yeah. to say all kinds all of ho- horrible yeah. things and ruin my yeah. uh, budding professional career. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, mate. Cheers. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Well, that was quite the chat. Uh, I told you, he's a deep guy. He's got a lot to say and he's he's a real thinker, Ali. So I, I look forward to having him back on the show sometime in the future. Uh, just a little summary. If you don't know the bit we were talking about with Bill O'Reilly on, you know, having a tantrum, just YouTube Bill O'Reilly We'll do it live. Brilliant. Sad, but brilliant. It was good to figure out from Ollie what psychotherapy means and how it's different from the other psychiatric disciplines and how psychotherapy really focuses on the power of the unconscious. It's just proven even more how much of a a mystery the unconscious mind is. If you haven't seen The Matrix recently, go check it out. The first one that is it, man, it's just, it's just, it's 20 years old now. I think I got even more from it watching it now that I'm 33. I've rewatched it many times, but it keeps revealing brilliant things. So, so go back and check it out. It was fun to chat about that with Ollie and also kind of serendipitous that he just rewatched it the night before as well. Trying to unpack nature and nurture with Ollie is, was it, well, that was an interesting part of the chat, how we really can't separate the two because you don't get a do-over was basically the conclusion we came to. We managed to completely perfect the education system. So if you can shed any light on, on education systems similar to the one that Ollie and I speculated upon in the podcast, please share it with me. I'd be very, very intrigued. I know they're doing some interesting stuff in Scandinavia and in that part of the world, so maybe maybe someone can shed some light on that for me. It was very kind of Ollie to humour me as I told him one of my dreams. Turns out that interpreting dreams really is a personal endeavour and he didn't really tell me anything. He just kind of facilitated my own thinking, which was very helpful. So perhaps just sitting down with your own dreams is a far more healthy exercise than trying to get interpretation from somebody else. So, well done, Ollie. Thanks for helping me figure out my own dream. Also, one, th- one other thing we learned, if you are climbing a mountain, don't climb too fast because you might get altitude sickness and poo your pants. So, we can all learn from Ollie's mistake. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Talk soon.